welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters. Thanks for taking some time for us today on this lovely day when most of us probably would prefer, or at least some of us would prefer to be outside. But some of us have to be in these radio studios so that we can bring you this important information, we hope. And our program today is brought to you by, in part by the Sonoma Valley Hospital, and the foundation of the Sonoma Valley Hospital announces a support for cancer patients. We'll talk about that in a minute. Our headline for today, we're going to be spending the, the majority of the hour with Tori Williams, who's written a book called Inevitable Collusion. Collision, excuse me, an inspiring story that brought stem cell research to conservative America. Basically, Tori Williams is from Alabama, and uh, she is in in the hot seat of much of the um, much of important, actually, national and international stem stem cell research. And she it, she tells it from a very personalized point of view, and yet uh, when she talks, you'll I confident you'll hear that we're right in the belly of the beast in terms of the development of stem cell work all around the world. So that should be very interesting for those of us who are interested in such things of a very, very forward-looking and uh, uh, important modern medicine development. So she'll be with us in just a few minutes. Uh, but now coming back to our sponsor, the Sonoma Valley Hospital, the uh, first cancer support program will open, this is uh, uh, in March, and the uh, offering a p- uh, patients a range of complementary therapies to ease the symptoms usually associated with conventional cancer treatments. The new program called Cancer Support Sonoma is operated by the Sonoma Valley Hospital in partnership with the North Bay Cancer Alliance. It will be located within Sonoma Valley Hospital and beginning welcoming patients March the 13th, obviously just this last week. Uh, Complementary therapies such as acupuncture and massage have been shown to improve the quality of life of patients undergoing conventional cancer treatments by decreasing physical and emotional symptoms such as nausea, fatigue, anxiety, and depression, said Pam Koppel, the program manager. In addition to being supportive atmosphere with others who are in the same cancer journey, it can provide a great deal of uplift and comfort for their spirits. The program will do both, both provide healing therapies and also do supportive healing environments. The Foundation Executive Director Selma Balusa, I'm not sure I've got that right, Balansua, said the program fills an important need in Sonoma Valley. We realized there was no place for our cancer patients in our community to turn for support and therapies, she said. Cancer treatments such as surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation are very hard on the patient. We want to create a place for healing here in Sonoma and one that offers a way to restore both the body and spirit and help those being treated for cancer to get back more fully in their lives. So again, that's upcome. that is very much current here uh, from Sonoma Valley Hospital. Also upcoming in the, in the hospital is um, next month is a wellness workshop and a 
There's a thing called Girl Talk Event, Rock Your Pelvis, Build Your Core. A lot of that information is available online at Sonoma Valley Hospital, svh.com. So you might look for that in the paper and things like that. But the, I can say the most important thing we're talking about today about the hospital is, of course, is the opening of this cancer support project. So coming to our guest today, I want to start right out of her, as I often do, uh, right from, from her uh, from her text, The Inspiring Story That Brought Stem Cell Research to Conservative America. And that's an important indication, conservative America. Of course, many of us have heard how um, the uh, pro-life people uh, feel that the stem cells, and of course George W. Bush and all of that, forbidding the work of stem cells, but for some old lines that they had. Um, so, of course, then uh, Barack Obama changed all that, and, and Tori uh, Williams and her group were part of that. So we'll be able to hear more of that in specific detail. But here are Corey's words herself. The story is told from my perspective and may differ from another. Since beginning this journey in 2010, I have written more than 10,000 pages of notes and recorded over 100 hours of tape interviews with patients involved with Geron's stem cell clinical trial. Um, their family members and friends, first responders, doctors, and nurses from medical facilities where the patients were treated, theologians, scientists, and researchers. I have kept a special note labeled privileged information and have returned to these pages often during the last four years. Indeed, the, the material in this top-secret notebook has been at arm's length, and frequent trips to my safety deposit box both have made this quite an adventure. The standpoint I hold early in inevitable collusion remains grounded to this very day. This is a journey for all people of this world, not mine alone, nor is the book that preaches or lectures or pushes any religious belief or political uh, viewpoint of the, of, for the re, on the reader. Each page is written in an honest, heartfelt a, a manner to inform you about the extraordinary efforts of patient advocates, scientists, philanthropists, biotech leaders, researchers from across the globe, and our journey of hope, faith, and courage. Um, this is a remarkable period in the medical history of a stretch of years that our children and grandchildren are certain to hear references to in the classrooms to study halls for decades to come. I have changed only one name in the book to, pretend, to protect the anonymity of an individual and altered minor details to preserve confidentiality. And here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Thank you for t uh, joining us today. Hi, it's Gabrielle Glancy. Uh, uh, Gabrielle Glancy. Ah, and you're not Tori Williams. No, I think I'm supposed to call you at 310 for an interview about I'm already disturbed. Please come in. Oh, my goodness. We have a conflict. We have a conflict. Okay. Could I be, at, could I be in the wrong? I, I, I'm, I'm confident that I am in the wrong. Please, <laughs> please, please, uh, 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 please, let's do this again, but let's recognize, recognize that I can't do it now. So for, please forgive me and uh, let your publicist know that I'll be in touch and we'll, we'll reschedule. Okay, good. Thank, Thank you. you so much, and I'm awfully sorry. Wow, I don't do that. Very, I, I don't know that I've ever done that before, actually. But at any rate, uh, there it goes. Um, huh. That shouldn't be that way, but... Oh, well. So we will wait for our next guest. And what a shame that is to put somebody off that way. I'm very chagrined. 
Now, coming back to our project for today, uh, this is in her first chapter, Tori Williams starts out from Orange County, California. She, she, she puts a lot of dates on things so that you, you, have, you know uh, things come in time, of course. Two minutes before his alarm sounded, uh, Hans Kirtstead rolled over in his bed, kissed his wife's shoulder. Today is the day, he softly whispered, and then eased from the covers and turned off the alarm. See how personal this is. A treatment based on human embryonic stem cells that allowed paralyzed rats to walk again. This would become arguably the greatest scientific discovery since Jonas Salk invented the polio vaccine in 1954. Um, of those journalists, Ed Bradley had been cons constantly in touch with Hans, uh, chronicling his achievements at UC Irvine and reporting on the potential benefits of the human embryonic stem cells. Bradley worked his contacts at 24-7 and reached out to Hans on a weekly basis. Uh, he was fascinated by the science, but was more impressed with the young scientist behind the work with whom he would be sitting down today. And here's our guest. Welcome to Health Matters. Hello. Hey, this is Tori Williams. Hello, Tori Williams. Thank you for taking some time for us today. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, excited and look forward to the experience for you guys. Great. Well, uh, we we were just actually reading a little bit right straight from your text because I wanted our listeners to get a feeling uh, for the kind of the very personal nature of this book that you've read, the written inevitable collusion, collision. I keep making the mistake. Collision. <laughs> Um, and it's the inspiring story that brought stem cell research to conservative America, underline the word conservative. And um, not on your book, but I'm just doing that for myself because our listeners were in California, so this, this is a little, perhaps a little bit different yeah. uh, here than it is there in Alabama. Uh, but um, so you're, you're at the, you know, right at the sharp tipping point of, of this tremendous new exciting world of stem cell rehabilitative work. So maybe you could kind of give us what you would consider to be your kind of uh, radiator, radiator, elevator speech on what the book's about and help our listeners begin to kind of come into this conversation of kind of how really sort of groundbreaking what you've been a witness to and been and now become part of kind of sort of give us that part of it, too, if you would, just kind of in a, in a thumbnail way. Yeah. Yeah, you know, after um, personally being diagnosed with polycystic kidney disease in 2010, um, you know, I personally have a disease that uh, likely two of my four children will be diagnosed with it in their lifetime. My sister is a cancer survivor. She's had three different um, bouts with cancer and just recently finished her last radiation treatment in December. Um so um, also just uh, seeing firsthand the challenges that, you know, patients and their families go through and in search of possibilities for cures. You know, it's the most effective road to recovery after they um, endure a tragic event or when they're diagnosed with an illness. And I felt it was very important to share some of these real and inspiring stories of overcoming obstacles, you know, in hopes that others can benefit from some of our personal experiences and then these that I share through the story. Mm -hmm. Inevitable Collision, it's a story about uh, what happens when patient advocates, when scientists and researchers work together with a goal of finding a cure. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, you've you've kind of put your sort of foot right into it in terms of with stem cells. In, in, in other words, you're talking about TJ 
in his particular uh, 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 adventure with regard to this. So you go into just excruciating detail on the, yeah. the tremendous accident this, this young man uh, experienced. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that and, and uh, kind of how that particular story that you begin your story with, how that kind of locked you into this process as it apparently did. Well, I think one of the things that makes this book so readable and um, memorable is that it does tell the story of a family friend of mine, T.J. Atchison, uh, from South Alabama, who uh, at 21 years old was paralyzed in an automobile accident from the chest down. And uh, he was the first uh, patient to participate in a medical procedure that uh, could improve his mobility. And so I I intertwined T.J.'s story, um, which is a story of his um, just a, you know, very vivacious young man, and he had a medical background. He was in nursing school at the time of his accident. And then I met the researcher, Dr. Hans Kierstedt, who was this brilliant young scientist from Vancouver, Canada, who was recruited to uh, UC Irvine to work at the Reeve Irvine Research Center. And he was a, Dr. Kierstedt was able to use these stem cell treatments to enable rats to overcome their paralysis. Um, so the results of, you know, meeting all of these different people, not only Dr. Kierstead and then being involved with TJ and documenting his story, but then I met Roman Reed, who has become one of my best friends in the world and a business partner of mine. He's a co-founder of, you know, a nonprofit organization that we've launched. And um, meeting these different patients that were, you know, either considering being a part of a clinical trial and, you know, I was thinking about my own self and if there were a treatment out there for polycystic kidney disease, would I would I be able to make that bold choice like TJ did and, you know, uh, participate in such of a new study that you really don't know the outcome um, or what if it would do harm to your body or what people might think of you because you participate in something like that. So I tried to weave in and intertwine a lot of different elements to the story to make it really, you know, readable and not so much um, there's a lot of science in it, but I've tried to, you know, tone it down some and make it more layman's terms for those of us who don't have, you know, a PhD in biochemistry and whatnot. And I've had some just great response from people who were, you know, like at one point I was a stay-at-home mom of four children, and I loved to read. I couldn't get enough um, of literature and just reading and soaking in uh, other people's stories and their journeys of life. And so it's kind of a broad spectrum of you know, you've got human interest, you've got science, you've got inspiration, you've got religion, you've got politics. It's all bundled into one package in the story. And, and like I said, we've had a tremendous amount of support so far. Right. Well, it's, this is, um, I think, for our listeners who may not really realize how groundbreaking is the, the ground on which you're, you're walking. Uh, I mean, as recently as um, just this month, uh, for instance, here in California, the... Uh, the uh, Ast- Asterius uh, Biotherapeutics initiated the, the uh, patient enrollment for phase one slash two a clinical trial of yeah. the for the for the cervical spinal cord injury. So these these are the people that we all hear about. I mean, we read about it in the paper and so on. These are the people who have uh, complete resections of the of the spinal cord or complete damages. So they have no uh, experience. They have no sensation and, and motor skills of either the upper or or lower limbs, and yeah. here, here in California, just this month, 
there was an announcement of a phase two, uh, phase that is one two eight part of the trial, of a, mm-hmm. of a, of a California organization which is a, a company co- part of BioTimes. So we're really at the at the kind of the the, uh, the the very tip of the of the spear, if you will. But back in Alabama, uh, which is we we think of the, some of us uh, smart. People, smart, smart-ass people. Pardon my language. Think of, <laughs> think of, think of the, you know, the the uh, the Bible thumpers as being somebody who was who was un- unwilling to consider uh, the, you know, and the, the whole process or the whole benefit, the potential of of, uh, of potential stem cell therapy. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about the religious uh, kind of steps that you feel that you've had to go through yourself. That you, I mean, one of the things that there was a YouTube uh, video that I looked at that talked about uh, TJ's pastor, for instance, and the thoughts that he had to go through to to develop his okayness with the development of the stem cell work for his for his uh, his. Uh, a congregation member and and so on and so forth. So talk a little bit about that, the Alabama part, and kind of yeah. how for you, you, you know, how you move through it for yourself, and kind of how you see others around you both struggling with it, as but how they're kind of coming to grips with what it is you're part of now. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm glad that you've um, highlighted this uh, portion to really talk about today because it, it's an honor for me to be a voice and really. Um, talk to, to people from outside of Alabama and let, let you guys know that, you know, there are a lot of progressive, forward-thinking people here in our state. And, um, you know, number one is education. We have a, uh, we are uh, compelled to educate as many people as we can on where these stem cells are harvested from. And once we have an opportunity, if someone will just give us, you know, a minute to just talk to them about the story, it's amazing to see that light bulb moment, that epiphany moment go off on their face where you realize that you've made a, a difference in how they, um, you know, their opinion on stem cell research. Most people here did not realize before TJ's um, involvement in this clinical trial, they did not understand that um, the cells are harvested and they come from fertility clinics. So no one here in Alabama or even the U.S. or around the world has a a problem or a moral issue with a couple who cannot have a a child on their own. And they want to have a family. So, you know, since 1978, when the first in vitro fertilization baby was born, Louise Brown from Europe, um, when she was born, that really enabled couples to have their children uh, and start their families. And so... IVF clinics now, they do have a, an abundance of frozen embryos, and after a period of time, after 10 to 12 years, those frozen embryos can no longer be, be used. They can't be used for a couple. They can't be donated to another couple because those tissues start to die. They're no longer viable. And so over 500,000 embryos are being thrown away every year, and that's a statistic from the National Institute of Health. Um, and it was people like Brother Bailey, who you referenced in the video with TJ. Brother Bailey did a lot of research. I mean, he, he wanted to have an unbiased opinion. He also wanted to have his, you know, his religion and the biblical uh, aspect of it also. And so um, 
it's just talking with people. It's educating them. But, you know, my mom is the pianist at our Baptist church in Washington County, Alabama. My dad's a deacon. Um, myself and my siblings growing up, we were at church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, on Wednesday nights. And, 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 we're, happy, um, and we're, we're happy to hear about that, but we need to take a, I need to jump in for just a minute. So just to, to break your flow there for a second, forgive me. We need to take a, little, a break. We're listening to uh, Tori Williams and her book called The Inevitable Collusion. And a collusion. I keep doing it. Collision. And uh, we'll be back with you in just a minute. So, Tori, please stay with us, and we'll be right back with you. All right. Thank you. The Sonoma International Film Festival is looking for local hosts to house our visiting filmmakers during our upcoming festival, March 23rd to the 29th. If you have a guest bedroom in your house or a cottage on your property that you can donate, please call Ann Peterson at 548-6587. That's 548-6587. Or email hospitality at sonomafilmfest.org. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by Sonoma Market, Glen Ellen Village Market, BuyWine.com, Myers Financial, and Tina Schoen, Broker Associate, Sotheby's. Welcome back to Health Matters. Uh, we're joined today by Tori Williams, and we're talking about the story of the inevitable collusion. I keep doing it. Collision. I'm, I'm going to get this right. The inspiring story that brought stem cell research to conservative America. And we were just talking about that part of it, weren't we, Tori? We were talking about kind of the conservative bedrock of your state in, in, in Alabama. And so keep going with that story a little bit and, and tell us a little bit more. Yeah, so just personally, you know, my, my family, uh, we're Christians, we're uh, also pro-life as supporters. And um, it's amazing because we've had, even in our congregation at our church, um, they invited, you know, myself to come and speak on the book, on the story, and then also my partner, Roman Reed, who's from Fremont, California. Mm -hmm. um, Roman uh, flew to Alabama. He came and had, you know, a lunch with us and, and visited our church, and we, we put a presentation on uh, for our church and explained the research. And um, now we have... Um, We've gained just tremendous support, not only in our own church, but in other um, churches as well. In the church library, there are uh, there's a shelf dedicated to our story where our uh, churchgoers can check out our book, and they help promote it. They hosted a book signing for us. So um, we're making uh, tremendous strides in conservative areas where people before never thought that would happen. And it's not been as challenging, I would say, as, as what I even thought it would be. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's more of just taking time to talk to people and educate them. People are curious. They want to know. I mean, they're really genuinely curious. Where do these cells come from? What kind of diseases can it possibly cure? And then when you start talking to people at that level and saying, you know, in your family, how many people have been diagnosed with cancer or diabetes or heart disease or maybe they're disabled? Then it resonates with people and they understand that, you know what, um, the more I learn about it and the more I understand the science, I don't have an issue with it. And if mm -hmm. it can certainly help someone that I love or, or I'm caring for, then I'm supportive of it. 
And so we've had a ripple effect. We've raised over $2.2 million here in Alabama alone um, for stem cell research. And we've launched a nonprofit organization, the Alabama Institute of Medicine, where Roman in California, he serves as chairman of our board of directors. He has given us such wisdom and um, knowledge on, uh, you know, how to be a fundraiser for stem cell research and then helping us put together the right team and the right advisors to build our model here in our state compared to you guys in California. Um, and so Roman is a huge part of this. He's raised over $100 million for stem cell research in your state. We feel that we've uh, been blessed to have his support and leadership and certainly others within your state, um, the California Institute of Regenerative Medicine have been an alliance of ours and uh, we've also partnered with some uh, other researchers in your state at UC Irvine and even Asterius Biotherapeutics, which is the company you mentioned earlier, um, their president of research, Dr. Jane Makowski, she is an advisor to our nonprofit organization. So we've been really smart to recruit the right people to come in and help us to, you know, not only educate our constituents here, but also build a dynamic program that can keep our researchers here in Alabama and, and encourage others to, to uh, use stem cell research in their approaches. Well, let's let's dive just with one big swoon into what a what a ligodendrocyte is, and kind of what. So, so maybe for our listeners who may not really understand, let's start with a, de- a definition of what a stem cell is, and then let's talk in a very practical terms about what the work of uh, Hans uh, Kirstead and others have uh, done that that have that again have have created this or that has come to use this oligodendrocyte in terms of and how progenitor and how that actually is germane to the rather remarkable step forward in terms of what stem cell worth versus instead of Schwann cells, which of course for those who paid it all any attention, they recognize that that's been one of the older versions of how to use uh, uh, stem cells, but this is a different form of the. So this is quite an advance in the in the thinking of the, of the medical uh, of this particular of your particular medical group and the people you're associated with. This is a fairly big step forward in terms of technology. So tell us a little bit about tell us tell us about, a little bit about what stem cells are and talk a little bit about the nature of the development of the particular version that you are using and how revolutionary that is, if you wouldn't mind. Right. Yeah, so stem cell technology, I mean, it's one of the most astonishing developments um, in medicine in in over a century. Um, There's so many treatments that are based on stem cell research that can tackle every disease and on demand. Um, You know, as you're um, moving about uh, doing your normal activity every day, your body is busy working away to maintain your body and to keep it in motion and functioning as it should and uh, to keep your health um, in top shape so you can do the activities that you do on a daily basis. There's stem cells in your eyes um, that help you to read, uh, to visualize, and to um, to, to recognize uh, people and things. And then there's stem cells in your hands that help you to hold and grasp things and turn pages and uh, to do really everything with your hand function. And then uh, stem cells in your stomach that help you to digest your food and uh, to help you to have a healthy digestive system and so forth. I mean, there's over 200 cell types in our body, and without um, any particular type of stem cell, your body gets out of whack, out of sync. And unfortunately, as we age, our stem cells, they they die, and sometimes they don't come back. And so that's where we lose function. 
Um, and so when you talk about regenerative medicine, you're talking about going into um, your body and regenerating those stem cells, helping them to come back new again. And so Dr. Kirsted, when he was recruited from Canada to come to UC Irvine, he was able to take those um those embryos that were frozen in fertility clinics and, and open them up and take out that inner mass of cells. He could turn those cells that were in that uh, encapsulated into that cluster and he turned them into the insulating um, mechanism of the spinal cord injury, the myelin sheath. And so uh, those cells were then able to conduct electricity. You know, when you have a spinal cord injury, you lose that uh, ability and, and it results with paralysis. Mm-hmm. And so Dr. Kier said he was able to really have a breakthrough in technology to use those cells. He, he needed financial assistance uh, to be able to go from just his idea and even in animals. He needed to be able to expand and uh, tr- attempt the technology on a larger population of, of animals. And so he sought after uh, the support of a biotech company there in Menlo Park, California, uh, called Geron. And Geron uh, took the therapy that Dr. Kirsten had developed, and they started testing it in humans in 2010. And T.J. Atchison, he was the first person to receive those stem cells that Dr. Kirsten had developed, uh, and that became the first phase of Geron's clinical trial. As you mentioned, Asterius has now taken um, the, the trial. Uh, Geron sold their technology to Asterius. And so Asterius last month has been given, uh, you know, the green light. They've already uh, started enrolling patients again for this phase one slash two A study where they will amp up the amount of stem cells. You know, TJ received two million cells during his treatment. Now they're going to um, amp that up, you know, 10 times greater so that these patients who are in this new clinical trial, they're going to receive 20 million cells, which is the amount that they believe, researchers believe, will have a functional recovery for their paralysis. Mm-hmm. And it's not just acute patients like TJ. TJ was a, um, you know, acute, he was a freshly injured patient, but now they're going to start working with chronically injured patients also. People like Roman who, um, you know, has been paralyzed for years and years and years and now there's so much scar tissue that hopefully this technology will be able to help people who have been in their wheelchairs and paralyzed for, you know, decades even. Well, that's, a, novel. that's a pretty remarkable, that's a pretty remarkable hope. I mean, of course, for many people who are not familiar with the the vibrancy of the potential of stem cells, I think that they, they, they might almost feel that stem that saying that would be like sort of uh, ho- hoaxing people and, and trying to sort of sell them something because it, 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 people have been convinced for, for a very long time that there really was no nerve degeneration potential. And, of course, what's happened in the last 25 and 30 years in my, since I was in medical school at UC in San Francisco, when we started to watch uh, on electron microscopes, we started watching nerve cells re- regenerate, um, and it was sort of proven because they could then, with the electron microscope, they could actually see the the uh, the uh, the old the ner- the new nerve development partnering along the old nerve path. That's one of the things we saw in medical school, and it was really remarkable to to see. So and so the the fantasy that once the nerve is gone in terms of function, that means it's gone in terms of its potential. And what you're yeah. 
what your guys are and what your world is about is is so truly transformative to that whole idea, which is in fact taking an old an, an old nerve or an old group of nerves, and and because the when when they say that the nerve, of course, has been uh, damaged, part of what they mean is the the nerve has had a, a a powerful bruising effect. So it isn't necessarily the nerve has been cut. Per, you know, in a like in a knife-like sense, and, and so it's actually separated. But it's but it's just been damaged by by contu- contusion and trauma. So that the a lot of times the nerve's still there in terms of the body of the nerve, the physicality of the nerve, but the capacity of the nerve to function. So exactly, yeah. so exactly as you said, the the development of the myelin-producing oligodendrocytes, progenital cells, in are they, the, the the principle is is that that there's a much more vivacious and potential development of this repair material, which which is what's so necessary. And of course, the so there's a, there's a lot of issues there still in terms of the and as I read about in different places about because I'm, I'm not at all up to date on stem cell research. I mean, I you you know you've given me the opportunity to have a reason to look at it. So and so I have nothing really to say about it of any. Knowledge, but um, the what you're doing and what you're talking about is not just a mere step, but it's a huge um, yeah. m- motion movement forward in terms of the basic uh, scientific thinking. So this is also a commercial matter. I mean, you you folks have s- uh, set up a company called Sacred Cells Research Partners. So talk a little bit about what your commercial potential is and, and your own commercial desires in this area. How, how do you see your role in terms of the, uh, the the commerce of this project? Yeah. You know, our, our launch of our for-profit company, really, um, it came just as a matter of necessity mm-hmm. because when we started, we launched our nonprofit organization, the Alabama Institute of Medicine, back right. in 2013. Right. And it's very difficult in our state to, um, you know, try and do a lot of third-party fundraising. You can only do so many music concerts or golf <laughs> tournaments. And, right. you know, they generate a lot of um, community support and thousands of dollars. But when you're talking about trying to find a cure for it, a you know, a disease or a disability, to bring a uh, drug development uh, to, to market and in the human population, it costs billions of dollars. And so when we, we embarked on this journey, we knew we've got to do something bigger uh, to help support our nonprofit organization and then also to make a difference really in drug development. And so we launched the, the for-profit company, Sacred Cells Research Partners, a few months later, and um, we knew that we had to have an intellectual property to really be taken seriously. And so we, for the last two years, we've worked just extremely hard um, with a leading biotechnology company um, in the U.S. to secure and purchase the license agreement for their progenitor cell technology. And so now we have uh, four patents that are worldwide exclusive rights to these uh, patents that we're going to to use now to start a a preclinical study with Dr. Allen Anderson, who's at UC Irvine. Mm -hmm. And so this will be for spinal cord injury uh, repair is what our goal is. We will begin uh, towards the end of April on an eight-month study with Dr. Anderson. And hopefully then we'll have some positive data that we're going to be able to take to the um, FDA with a new and um, new IND application. It's a it's a process that you really start to try and get into human clinical trial. It's an investigational new drug application, and so any uh, 
pharmaceutical company that's trying to get their product into human clinical trial, they have to file first with the FDA. So hopefully towards uh, the end of, um, well, I'd say mid-2016, we should be in good position to really uh, start a human clinical trial phase one for spinal cord injury. And, um, you know, Asterius, they're our great friends, and we are just so excited for them to be able to uh, launch this new um, study with the uh, oligodendrocytes. What we're hopeful to do is to complement what they're doing. Um, it's not in any way to be a competition at all, but we, we do want to uh, try and get our product out into the market. And we've got a really unique researcher from Alabama, Dr. Raj Singh, who has developed this um, matrix. It's like a delivery system for stem cell research. So we're going to combine his matrix with our stem cell line, and we're going to be able to have a very unique um, treatment for spinal cord injury research. Help our listeners so help, our li- help our listeners visualize what that treatment looks like. Now, of course, into the book, of course, it looks it looks like what somebody's doing is they're they're like they're getting an epidural. I mean, it's it's kind of that kind of a treatment. But talk a little bit about the treatment itself and sort of give our listeners a, a, now we're talking again about spinal cord injury, so we know the area of the body. So talk about the 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 actually application of the therapy itself if you would. Yeah. Well, I can tell you based on TJ and his experience when TJ was injured, um, he was uh, taken to a local rural hospital, and they did, they went in, they uh, tried to repair the damage to his spinal cord injury. So he had a incision made um, probably four to five inches down the column of his spine um, on the outside, and mm-hmm. um, so they tried to go in and repair that damaged spinal cord. They they did everything they could, and ultimately there was no um, there was no treatment for him during that surgery. Mm-hmm. So TJ had the scar. Uh, it, it had started to heal over, but once he was transferred to the Shepherd Center, uh, where just you know a matter of a week later he was. Uh, being enrolled in this clinical trial, mm-hmm. they the doctors there went back into that same, they, they opened up that same incision mm-hmm. and um, put two drops, just two little drops of cells. But in each of those drops, you think about two million cells. So per drop is just uh, a million cells. It's, it's so small of an amount, but it, the cells are, you know, they're so tiny. They're microscopic. It's, right. uh, an abundance of those are in each drop. Right. The procedure itself at the Shepherd Center did not take long at all. And um, TJ, you know, they had to monitor him extremely closely during the surgery. He could only be without, um, you know, ox- well, he had oxygen the whole time, but they had to turn him off of the uh, machine so that his body would not move at all. Mm-hmm. He would be completely still and that they could get that uh, those drops in at the precise point on his spinal cord uh, to ensure that that would be the best placement for those cells. Mm-hmm. And most of the uh, procedures, you know, this is the first of its kind. So really that's what happened with each of the five patients who were enrolled in that phase one clinical trial. Now, phase two, they are going to inject more cells, so I'm certain that they're going to have, you know, more, uh, it'll be a little more complex than what TJ's procedure was, but certainly they've got it mastered and they have rehearsed and rehearsed, and I know they'll they'll keep, um, you know, improving their skills as they uh, inject these new patients. Well, our our listeners may not recognize uh, or may not be privy to what, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, and, and, and even phase four is about. So, let, but before we go to that, let's let's talk a little bit. Actually, no. Before we before we need to do that, we need to take another break. So, Terry, if you'll stay with us just another minute, we'll be back with you in just a moment. So, please stay with us. 
Sounds good. Thank you. We're listening to Tori Williams and her lovely discussion of inevitable collusion. Again, there at Collision, I do it again. We'll be back with you in just a moment. Programming for KSVY is brought to you in part by Sonoma Market, Glen Ellen Village Market, Body Best Collision Center, Larbre Automotive, and Tina Schoen, Broker Associate, Sotheby's. Sonoma Valley High School's Grad Night 2015 is still seeking volunteers and donations. Grad Night brings Sonoma graduates together at an all-night drug and alcohol-free graduation party. Volunteers are needed for setup on Thursday and Friday, June 4th and June 5th, and cleanup on June 6th. If you can help out, please send an email to dino at svhsgradnight at gmail.com. To make a donation, make your check payable to Sonoma Valley Grad Night and mail to Sonoma Valley High School, 20,000 Broadway, Sonoma, California, 95476. And welcome back to Health Matters. Dr. Ned Hoke today joined by uh, Tori Williams, the author of a brand new book called Inevitable Collision, the inspiring story that brought stem cell research to conservative America. And we were just talking about... uh, uh, some other parts of the of the story, and uh, so why don't you go ahead and keep going, uh, Tori? Yeah, so we were. Uh, I think your question was about uh, the clinical trial process, and you know, you just wanted me to kind of summarize. Uh, well, there there is that there is a, the, the before we go to the before we go to the, the actually the summarizing the, the the phases themselves. Let's talk about what happened to the five people who were in phase one. Can you give us a report? Yes, absolutely. So I have interviewed the first patient and the fifth patient. Um, um, All of the patients who have been injected with these cells have had positive results. Um, Now, the phase one uh, safety study, that's where these researchers are are monitoring and uh, they're making certain that no harm has been done to the patients. And so they start with a very small group because it is the earliest stage of a clinical trial, so they don't want to put too many participants in that early uh, study. But all of these patients have had uh, very good results. Their MRIs that have been taken uh, have indicated that there's no tumor development or no, you know, damage done to that site where they injected the cells. And so these patients are considered to be, you know, a success because no further harm was done. Um, in fact, uh, the, the fifth patient, she did have um, some bladder bowel control. Now, it was not enough to say that it was um, back 100% because it never was consistent. But she did notice that she was having, you know, some sensations and she could tell a difference in right. uh, her bladder bowel control. Right. And uh, TJ, you know, he's... Uh, as far as I know now, he's doing really well. Uh, he's had, you know, no uh, medical uh, issues whatsoever. The other patients, the same with them, even though their identities have not been revealed. Right. Um, overall, these five patients, again, it seems that it's a success. So the phase one is, is intended to prove no harm. That's, that's our, so we're not trying to win the battle with the first phase. We're trying to be sure, exa- I'm just re- reframing your words, they're, they're, we're trying to be sure that the there's no damage created. So so let's talk about then phase two. What do we hope to have happen at phase two? 
Yeah. So if the results of phase one trial are encouraging, then, you know, FDA gives the green light to go on to phase two. And that's what we're seeing now with Asterius. If FDA would have seen anything negative in phase one, they would have halted it and not allowed it to move further. So in phase two, um, you know, it will involve more patients, which will give more of a robust, you know, data. Um, There will be roughly 10 to 30 patients who will be enrolled into this um, study. And um, this is where you'll start to see some efficacy. You'll start to see that there is some improvement. And... um, Hopefully, it will uh, lead into a, a phase three, which could be uh, drug approval. Um, and it's worth saying that you know all of these regulations that are put in place are intended to protect the patients and to allow the companies uh, to be able to present enough data to to make the FDA feel uh, confident that this study is going according to plan. So in phase three, this should take place probably within you know, another year or two after phase two is completed. They will then uh, enroll between you know 500 to 1,000 patients in phase three, and this is where you'll have you'll have safety still being monitored. You'll have efficacy where you're seeing if it is working, and then the dosing. That's where they're trying to pinpoint the exact amount that's going to help you know, millions of patients that are paralyzed. And so they have to get the dosing just right because once they take it out of phase three clinical trial, then um, the long-term follow-up is there. And that's where you're you're seeing, you know, thousands of patients being, uh, having access to this technology and to this treatment. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a very rigorous and um, complex process, but overall it's to protect the patients and to make certain that there's no issues that come up with right. the patients. Well, now it's it's it, it, according to a press release I I saw the, the on the, the March five press release from Menlo Park from Asterius. They said that uh, they they report that there's twelve over twelve thousand individuals sustain a spinal cord injury every year in the United States, and yeah. approximately one point three uh, Americans a million Americans are estimated living with a spinal cord injury. So that mm-hmm. the and they say here, if, if if this product could deliver even modest improvements in mortary and yeah. sensory function, it would result in significant improvements in quality of life. And boy, that certainly is exp- my experience in terms of as I'm a, I'm an oriental medical doctor acupuncturist, and so of course yeah. I've seen many people who. Uh, over the years who've come to me with various kinds of neurodegenerative problems of one sort or another. Um, and occasionally I'll, I'll see a spinal cord, um, you know, that like uh, like TJ. I'll see a, 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 something like that who's in a wheelchair, that kind of thing. And, of course, mm-hmm. what they're looking for is even, you know, any kind of benefit. And, of course, uh, it's we I've struggled mightily over the years to try to give even modest uh, support. So it's very exciting to me to imagine that, that it's possible somewhere in the not too distant in the future, that that these people will have another tool, at least, if maybe it's not a, a standalone only only tool, but a, another valuable tool to provide some u- unique and, and and support that hasn't been there before. Let's talk about the Alabama Institute of Medicine and and uh, a little bit, and talk a little bit about your your nonprofit and kind of how you're functioning in that zone. I mean, obviously, you're or not necessarily obviously to our listeners, but obviously to you and I, you are out. You are making a lot of time to talk about this around the country and with radio interviews and that kind of thing. But other than the sort of publicity part of what you're doing currently, or maybe that's what you should talk about, talk about the the publicity part or what what is you're actually doing in addition to talking to me today? 
Yeah, you know, Dr. Nan, that's important for us to be out talking about uh, stem cell research and raising awareness because then that helps to raise funding for stem cell research. I see. But I will tell you that a lot, a, a lot of our time is also spent talking to our legislatures and to our, you know, state um, leaders and policymakers because uh, oftentimes it does require their support to be able to enable us to be able to, um, you know, fundraise for stem cell research and, and even to receive state support uh, for this uh, important life-saving research. And it's, you mentioned, um, you know, the heartstrings that are, are pulled when you see someone who's, you know, disabled or someone that you know is living with a disease. But when you talk to uh, to legislators and to uh, city councilmen and to mayors and uh, economic development people within your community or in your state, they they also um, are are interested in that. I mean, they themselves oftentimes have children or loved ones or parents that are diseased or disabled. But they also want to know that economic impact. How is stem cell research going to help uh, improve our you know our um, economy. And that's important for us to be able to have figures available on hand for them because just spinal cord injury patients. And Roman Reed, Roman's been paralyzed since 1994. So I'm telling you that this this man, he can tell you every aspect about the, you know, the living with the disability and then also why he wants to be out of the wheelchair. It is because he wants to be independent, but he also knows that if he alone is out of his wheelchair, that's going to save our economy three to four million dollars just for caring for him in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, now Roman does, he's not on any, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't get state support or uh, disability because he works. He, he has worked since, you know, he was out of the hospital. He makes his own money and he doesn't uh, depend on disability funding. But sometimes, you know, people who are quadriplegics, they can't work. They can't, uh, they cannot uh, have they, they an can't income perform. that will right. provide for them. Exactly. So their parents or other family members have to care for them. And then those people are no longer able to work and contribute to our economy. And so if we can, as a country, find a cure for spinal cord injury, you know, if there are 6 million Americans who suffer from paralysis and nearly a quarter of them are paralyzed due to a spinal cord injury, if Asterius or if our company or if another company finds a cure for spinal cord injury, this has significant impact that will allow us then to use funds that we're typically going towards caring for these people to use it for education or for our defense or for, you know, health care or what, what not. So, um, it has a, a huge economic impact in other diseases, cancer. Um, cancer, to find a cure for cancer is into the trillions of dollars of what our nation uh, would be able to save. Mm-hmm. Well, abso- yeah. absolutely. So, so he, again, coming back to you, Tori Williams, talk about, but are, so are you, are you, have, you just, have you just told us, and did I not sort of recognize, have you just told us that you're the public relations person for the, this project, and so basically that's your primary task? It is. It's, it's really just getting out there and talking to community leaders and to patient groups, trying to raise awareness and funding for stem cell research. We've raised over $2.2 million in less than two years in Alabama. Now, before we came onto the scene, you know, there was very little activity for stem cell research in our state, and especially for progressive stem cell research like 
human embryonic stem cell research. And so for us to have been able to garner that support from, you know, people, investors who uh, typically would not invest in stem cell research or the biotech industry, they would normally uh, invest in, you know, natural resources or uh, energy uh, conservation or things like this or real estate. Now we're shifting the the pendulum swing back to, you know, medicine and into a biotech industry. And we're really, we're breaking into uncharted territory and ground that it has an incredible uh, opportunity for us to raise significant amount of money, whether it be for our nonprofit organization, which then channels money back into our institutions here in our state. Uh, It funds the researchers who have these ideas so that then they can test the ideas and that they're not recruited away to another state or to another country. yeah, so we're keeping our researchers here in our state. We're uh, improving the economy. We're also, you know, we are making a difference with treatment that before we came came onto the scene here in Alabama, um, not much activity was really going on for stem cell research. And, and so now there is a presence here. We, uh, we're a beacon uh, for a lot of, you know, southern groups here. And also the World Stem Cell Summit is a huge organization hosted by um, the Genetics Policy Institute, GPI, there in Florida. They host the World Stem Cell Summit every year. Uh, they've done this for over 10 years now. And last year I was a speaker at their event, uh, which was in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, the year before that we were in San Diego. Our group of eight constituents from Alabama were atten- attended that event, we received a standing ovation. Wow. <laughs> People just thought, well, we have Alabama represented here, and it's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? Well, now there's w- one last little, not one, uh, we have just a few more minutes, and uh, I, if, if any of our listeners had a question for uh, Tori, you might give us a call, 933-9133 here at the station. But I, but while we're probably just a couple seconds left, let's talk about the, the Christopher Reeve Foundation and how that's part of what you, how that's connected to you, in terms, because all of us who are old enough to remember Christopher Reeve, the Superman, who had a horse accident uh, in the 90s and then, of course, became such a spokesman for uh, stem cell yeah. and other spinal cord injury people. Talk a little bit about your Christopher Reed connection, if you would. Yeah. Reeve. Well, it was when I was researching uh, the, the material to, to write this book and the document TJ story that I was reading Christopher Reed's biography, Still Me, is the title of it. And it was one night, late at night, close to midnight. Um, I turned the page, and I realized that Christopher Reeve's birthday is the day that TJ had his accident. And there were chills that went all over my body because I thought, these two people have had, they have, uh, their paths have crossed. TJ had his accident on Christopher Reeve's birthday, and Christopher Reeve was such of a huge uh, stem cell advocate and patient advocate of Absolutely. Of injury. And it just, it, I cried, I cried that night because I thought, there is a way that Christopher, I felt like he was um, connected to TJ, and TJ connected to him. Okay. And so when I met Roman for the first time in California, we met at Magic Mountain in Valencia Park, California, and I gave Roman the telephone so that he could talk to TJ. It was the first time they talked on the phone together. And um, we looked over our shoulder at that amusement park, and there was a huge Christopher Reeve tower in the background just beaming. You could see the huge Superman emblem on the top of the tower. And again, I cried again. I thought, he's still with us. He's with us. Wow. And um, 
So I just I've continued to do a lot of research. We've reached out to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Um, just this past year, we hosted our annual uh, fundraising gala here in Birmingham, and the executive director for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, Mr. Peter Wilderotter, we reached out to him, and he emailed Roman and I back and said, "Would y'all, you know, I would love to come and participate in your gala. Can you can you fit me in? How can I how can I be a part of it?" And we said, will you be our master of ceremony? We can't imagine anyone that we would rather have but you, Peter. And so Peter flew to Birmingham, and he it was just an amazing experience to have Peter in that um, in the, a, a company, you know, with him, and uh, to learn about their organization and how we are hopeful to collaborate with one another and to um, use our resources to one another to help improve the quality of life for those who are living with spinal cord injury and then also other neurological diseases and injuries. So, mm-hmm. so you yeah, it's just it is a magical story. Well, you've you've written a magical book, but a book with a lot of practical legs as well, and you've you've done it with a for at least to my eye with a with a spirit of faith and a spirit of hopefulness and a spirit of positivity that's just, it's very uh, touching and affecting. And so it's uh, the kind of book for any of any of our listeners who have themselves or who have no people who have this kind of situation in their lives, they certainly should pick up The Inevitable Collusion. <laughs> I keep doing it. Collision. The, I don't know what's wrong with me. The inspiring story that brought stem cell research to conservative America. Tori Williams, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Ned. I've enjoyed it. All right. Good day now. You too. Bye-bye. So there it is. And uh, again, I want to thank our Sonoma Valley Hospital uh, sponsorship for our program here at Health Matters. And again, reminding you that they have the, this is brand new, the, uh, way, the new uh, cancer support program at Sonoma Valley Hospital opens this month, this week, in fact. And it's been supported by the hospital as well as the North Bay Cancer Alliance. For more information, call uh, 935-5070. And you can speak to, um, uh, Selma, uh, at the, who is the executive director of the Sonoma Valley Hospital Foundation. And uh, anyway, uh, let's see what else is coming up here at Health Matters for next week. Actually, I don't have that in front of me. So what I can say is if you cannot pacify your spirit, you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry, but keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the basic guidance of the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine, the basic book of Chinese medicine. Our Health Matters motto still is, health care isn't a noun, it's a verb. Tune us in again next week. Until then, I bid you well. <laughs>